The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Ecclesia, will you say a prayer with me? Lord God, we pray that this hymn would be more than just lyrics today, but that it could truly become our prayer that we would begin to trust the only one that we can truly surrender to, the only one who truly knows what is best for us. And God, we confess that too often we seem to think that we know what's best for us. We want to take control. And yet, God, we're grateful that we take time each week to gather with brothers and sisters to open the scripture, to pray, to celebrate the Eucharist, and remind ourselves that you're the one who made us. You're the one who knows us that you have a plan that's better than our plan. And so we ask today, God, that as we open your story, as we lean into your history, that you would speak out of history, out of scripture, into our stories today. That you'd give us words of hope and encouragement, that Lord, for many of us, you'd give us a gentle and loving rebuke to say that there are places you're on the wrong path. I wanna pull you back to my path. I want you to trust my ways instead of your ways. And so Lord, we're grateful for a community and a family where we can seek these questions, where we can lay our lives back in your hands. We pray that that would happen this morning for each of us. We thank you for our kids, for the abundant blessings that are around us. Help us to see them and celebrate them well. We pray all of this together in your name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray, amen. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia on the west side. Uh, It's great to be with you. It's great to be able to um, celebrate so much of what God's doing in our midst and to open the scriptures with you today. I've been a bit on the fence with some of what I want to share with you today. Um, In fact, I'll be honest. Um, I'm going to ask you a question, and, uh, and if you're not somewhat revealing with me, but I may not tell you the story that I want to tell you. So um, I'm going to tell you a story pastors shouldn't tell their churches, but this is Ecclesia. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I might do it anyway. I got to ask you a question first, and I want to see how honest you're going to be with me, and then I'll decide how honest I'm going to be with you. This week, can you think of anything, probably more than one thing, that you found yourself complaining about this week? Anything that pops to mind right away, just say it. Traffic. Traffic. Everything. Everything. (laughs) There was nothing I didn't complain about this week. Patty, what did you add? People, right? People, they're so broken, those people. It's a good thing I'm not like them, right? How can they be so messed up and selfish? Anybody else? Come on. Taxes, right? Taxes. And the other people, what's that? Purpose. Purpose. Dishes. Dishes, right? They don't wash themselves. Why hasn't somebody invented those yet? Kids. Kids, kids in general came up a lot at the 9 a.m. service. So we love kids. We're really grateful for kids. And pretty much everything from toddlers to teenagers, we said we complained about at the 9 a.m. service. I, I want us to, um, to contemplate today what I believe is one of the most poignant truths in Scripture. 
We've been uh, looking at stories from the Exodus, and when you look at this narrative in the Exodus, what historians can't quite figure out, honestly, one of the reasons that they go, this story doesn't even seem true, is that um, you have these people, a couple million of them, they get freed from slavery in Egypt, and they're headed to this promised land. And point A to point B, they're really not that far apart. But somehow, to get from point A, slavery, to point B, promised land, these people run in circles in a very small area for 40 years. 40 years. Historians look and go, how could people be that dumb? 40 years in the same, they just, like a cul-de-sac, they just kept circling the same cul-de-sac for 40 years? And yet you don't have to be a historian to know that you and I often are doing the same thing. Right? God's taken us from a place of slavery. We've come from places of difficulty. And to get to the place God wants us, it's really not that far apart. And yet somehow we make the same mistakes over and over and over and over and over again. And today, this particular mistake is one that um, I'd prefer not to preach about. It's too convicting for me personally. There are a number of times in the history of Ecclesia um, that I could look back and go, I'm pretty sure the church is not going to make it. Like, we're going to close the door soon. Uh, one, if you were around in the Taft days, some of you knew, the city came and put a big sticker on our door and said, uh, hey, you're out of code. And the big part of the code violation, there were a number of them, but but the big one was uh, churches now, the code had changed since that church building was built. And we had to have something like uh, 78 parking spots. Uh, we had 17. And uh, we were, a, it was quite a gap. And uh, buying land in Montrose was not the easiest thing to do. And uh, literally, we were at the place where multiple times I just went, we gotta, we're gonna have to close the doors. Like, the church will no longer exist. Finally, I went to an architect. I went to a bunch of architects. And finally, one architect said, well, don't you hang art in the, yeah, like we have an art gallery. We do a little coffee shop. And he said, huh, the code says that you don't have to have any parking uh, spots for an art gallery. You're an art gallery. And I said, yes, we're an art gallery. <laughs> and we have a church that meets there from time to time, but we are an art gallery, and we went back and we refiled, and the church survived, right? Uh, one of those days that I thought we weren't gonna make it, well, before I tell you that, I didn't tell this story at the nine, but all of a sudden I realized I had a good Barbara Bush story. Anybody wanna hear a Barbara Bush story before? Um, it feels like the right weekend to tell it. So, uh, when I think about um, the way that Ecclesia has been able to change uh, many places in the world, and hopefully make an impact in our city, right? Um, it, uh, it occurs to me in those early years, there were a lot of people that went, who are those crazy people? In fact, Barbara Bush was one of those people. Um, so her grandson began to attend Ecclesia. Uh, he hadn't been attending church, so when he went back to tell his grandparents, I'm going to church, he thought they would be thrilled. But they're Episcopalian and they're like, well, yeah, why don't you go to the Episcopal church with us, like everybody else, right? And, uh, and Barbara did what grandmothers do. Um, she just went online to say, who are these crazy Ecclesians? And, uh, and she started Googling information and she did what only Barbara Bush could do. She called her rector over at St. Martin's. Uh, it's the previous rector before Russ Levinson. And, uh, and said, uh, I need you to come over because I need to know what an Ecclesia is. And, um, 
And so um, the rector from St. Martin's came over and had breakfast the next morning with Barbara Bush, because when Barbara Bush calls, you come the next morning, right? And I don't know what he had. I'm sure he had a breakfast schedule, but he canceled on somebody because he needed to go talk to Barbara Bush about Ecclesia. And gratefully, that rector had just heard me speak a few weeks before. He knew Ecclesia well, a lot of, like a lot of churches in our city. They were going, whatever they're doing, young people are coming to their church, so we should do what they're doing. And so he began to explain to Barbara, we're learning from them, and these are our friends, and uh, they believe the Bible, and they're really good people. And so the same day, Barbara was giving a speech at a high school graduation. And so because she had been thinking about Ecclesia in her speech, she ended up encouraging the young people that were graduating there um, to be a part of a church. And she said, in our family, we have a lot of diversity in our family. So um, uh, the president and I are Episcopalian, but George W., he's Methodist. We have Baptists in our family. Um, uh, we have some folks that, uh, that go to Methodist and uh, all kinds of churches. He said, she said, we have Methodists, Presbyterians, Ecclesians. Um, <laughs> and so we became uh, a denomination on par <laughs> in the language of Barbara Bush with the Baptists, the Methodists, the Episcopalians and the Ecclesians. Um, one of those days that I thought Ecclesia would not exist was in the uh, earliest years. This is the story that I'm reluctant to tell you, but I'm gonna tell you anyway, because it helps me teach the Bible. Um, we were preparing for maybe our third, we were about three years old. We were doing one of our first staff parties. We just had enough staff to have what could feel like a party. And I did what broke people do when in Houston, when you wanna have a party, but you can't really throw a real party. Uh, for me, the best way to have a party, to ensure that it feels like a party atmosphere is to have guacamole. So, um, so I went to the farmer's market on airline to get as many cheap avocados and limes as I possibly could. Many of you are familiar with that farmer's market, right? And you can get a lot of great avocados. And I loaded down on avocados and limes and thought at the very least, like we got chips and we got guacamole, it's a party. And, uh, and I thought I was successful in getting what we need. I loaded my car. I noticed when I got there that there seemed to be a really strong HPD presence at the farmer's market. But uh, as a law-abiding pastor, it didn't bother me a bit. I'm thrilled just to be protected as I get my guacamole. And uh, as I pull out, uh, apparently they ran my license plate and they pulled me over and said, you, uh, you have an unpaid ticket. And I said, I don't think I have an unpaid ticket. And they said, you have an unpaid ticket. And I said, well, I'll pay it. They said, no, you're going to jail. I said, I'm going where? <laughs> I said, I'm the pastor of Ecclesia. I have a staff Christmas party. They said, you don't anymore. You're going to jail. Um, it was a delightful day. <laughs> I got to do prison ministry on the inside. I'd always told God I didn't want to do prison ministry, and he's like, I'll get you to do prison ministry. Uh, I spent three long hours in uh, the holding cell at HPD. It's a beautiful place. About 18 of us staring at each other with a toilet right in the middle. Let's just say you don't want to go to the restroom in front of those people. And, uh, and I tell you what, you'd have thought three hours was three years to me. There was a phone in there. I just kept, you know, I don't remember anybody's number. I only knew a few friends' number. I just kept calling them over and over going, please get me out of here. And for some reason, just because you're in jail, you feel like you're starving. And bring me a Whataburger, please. <laughs> right? I got to tell you, after three hours in uh, the, my day of serving time, um, 
I was miserable, right? I, I, that place was awful. In some ways, I wonder if God's sense of humor was just to say, I'm gonna have you do three hours of time so that every time you read the book of Philippians and you contemplate Paul's words, right? Paul was not in a relatively clean Houston holding cell, right? He was in a Roman prison. He was potentially facing execution. It's from that place that he wrote words like this in Philippians 2. He says, do all things without complaining or bickering with each other. I gotta tell you, when my wife wouldn't answer the phone from prison, I was not thrilled, right? (laughs) And yet, right, she didn't really want to collect call from who knows where, right? I spent a few hours and I struggle to keep a good attitude for a few minutes. Paul's in a Roman prison and he writes these words, don't complain or bicker. So you'll be found innocent and blameless. You are God's children, called to live, out a, live without a single stain on your reputations among this perverted and crooked generation. Shine like stars across the land. Cling to the word of life so that on the day of judgment when the anointed one returns, I may have reason to rejoice because it will be plain that I didn't turn from his mission nor did I work in vain. Even if my lifeblood is poured out like wine as a sacrifice of your faith. What's he saying? I'm facing execution. Even as I face execution, I remind you not to complain. He says, I have great reason to what? Say it with me. Celebrate with all of you. And for the same reason, you can be glad and celebrate with me. I love that Cool in the Gang song, Celebrate Good Times. I was not singing it in my three hours in the can, right? Now, again, parts of the sermon are gonna be excerpted, and I'm gonna be talking about my time in prison. It's gonna be recreated with a new online profile (laughs) somewhere. This is what I gotta tell you, Ecclesia. I, I would love for Paul's words to be written after the angel appeared and freed him from prison, but they weren't. They were written as he faced execution, but he had a hope in the gospel that you and I desperately, desperately need. Paul was so confident that this negativity, this complaining, often uh, this divisive spirit, and usually by divisive, what people mean is people that are complaining about other people and other things, right? He goes so far in Titus 3 to say that if you encounter a divisive brother or sister, rebuke them once. He says you can rebuke them a second time if you want, but for sure after that, cut them out of your lives. Seems extreme, doesn't it? How many of you are like, I should be cut out of a lot of people's life? (laughs) According to the Apostle Paul. And this is what I want you to hear today. We're gonna look at Numbers chapter 11. We're gonna look at the children of Israel who've been freed from slavery, 500 years of slavery in Egypt. God's done it all in a way that it was irrefutable that it wasn't the work of man. Crystal clear that it was only God was the reason that they were freed. And then I want us to look at how they behave and see if it resonates with us. This is what you need to know and hear in Numbers 11. Because this was before Christ, you get this real clear sense of how God feels about something. And in Numbers 11, it becomes really clear that God hates complaining. He hates it. 
And if you're a parent, you know what this feels like, right? So the words we're gonna use here in number 11, Numbers 11, they're kind of interchangeable. Uh, we talk about complaining, grumbling, murmuring. Um, there are a lot of words that we can, uh, we can use. Most of them in the scripture, whining would be one of them, right? If you're a parent, you know God feels about complaining how you feel about whining, right? Most of us, as we raise our kids, like, not, are not necessarily determined to raise lawyers and entrepreneurs. We just want to raise kids that don't whine. That's the main goal in life, right? And if you can do that, you feel successful. Kids whining is the one thing that will logically make you think as you drive your car down the freeway, right? I'm ready to jump out of this car at 85, right? If these, these kids don't stop, I'm going to hit the eject button, right? Because they are driving me crazy. And what we hear in this story is that God feels the same way about that whining. Now, whining, murmuring, grumbling, all words that if you remember from English class, they're what? What kind of word? Any English teachers here? They're synonyms, but they're also, they're words that are what they sound like, right? Which are onomatopoeias. It's just a great word to throw out. And uh, so this way we throw out onomatopoeia. Just murmur, grumble. It's just this sense of whining. This is not, God's just going, I'm so tired of it. So this is what happens in Numbers 11. This is how it starts. It tells us in verse one that the people, again, the people who've been in the, in the wilderness getting food that rains from the sky. I don't know if you've ever had food rain from the sky. Food's raining from the sky, water's coming from rocks, they've been freed supernaturally. Those same people, it says, the people griped about life in the wilderness. How hard they felt things were for them. And these evil complaints, they came up to the ears of the eternal one. And he was furious about this ingratitude, this faithlessness, and this lack of vision, and his anger was kindled. And his fire raged among them and devoured some of the camp's perimeters. Literally, dudes just walking, they start complaining, and the next thing you know, they're on fire. Right? That's a bad day. And it tells us the people of Israel cried out. They ran to Moses. They begged him to do something, and Moses did. He prayed to the Eternal One, and the flame settled down. The people stopped burning. On account of this incident, the burning fire from the eternal, the place where it happened was called Tabera, which means burning. So they went around and they said, that's the spot where we were walking, people started complaining, and then they caught on fire. So they were telling everybody, right? You would think that would be the moment everybody would go, don't complain anymore, right? Like apparently God's not into it at all, and we should stop the complaining thing, right? Because without Jesus as a buffer, this is the thing most of us realize, like without Jesus, we'd all have been lit on, we'd be barbecued, right? God would be so fed up with this. But because Jesus has absorbed the punishment for our sins, God doesn't exact this punishment upon us, right? So you begin to wonder, like what? One, why did they keep complaining? And two, wouldn't you think that would be enough? Why would God have to treat it so severely? And this is what I want you to hear today. This is one of the pieces we come to communion. I want you to pray through with me. I would propose to you as a pastor that most sin, most of the sin we fall into, that when you look at it honestly, it's not appealing, that it's not contagious. It's very rare that you're around an alcoholic and you see... Um, you see just the way that their lives have been laid to waste, Right? The, the struggle relationally, uh, this, 
this ability just to, to devastate jobs and families. It's very rare that you're with someone who has that struggle and you go, you know what, I really want to be an alcoholic, right? It doesn't work that way. You go, this is, that, that's a bad life. It, through the years I've learned, um, especially among guys, that there are very few places guys are honest, but often at the gym, there's something about grunting and working out that guys start to tell the truth to each other. At the gym, I used to work out down the road here. Years ago, I remember um, hearing the guys at the next station, one of the guys was explaining to the guy who was spotting him um, that he had been sleeping with a married woman and that, that married woman, her husband had found out and that he was literally trying to kill him. And he kept saying like, I don't know how I got into this. Like, I don't know how I got myself into this mess. There is nothing when you're with somebody in that place that you go, adultery seems like a great idea. There's nothing, in fact, you, and just the opposite, you realize like, wow, it's, that's why God set up the world the way he did. That's why he reminded us, like, this is not healthy, this is not good. Most sin, I'm convinced that when you look at it honestly, you go, I don't want that. that with one exception, most sin is not contagious, but grumbling is. Grumbling and complaining is contagious. You get around people that do it, and you know what happens? Everybody starts to do it. And I think it's why God started to go, I'm gonna light up these things on the outskirts because if not, this thing's gonna get out of control. You know it if you've ever kept a bunch of kids together, right? One kid starts crying, and before you know it, you got a bunch of kids that are crying. They're all whining and complaining, right? And adults, we're, we're no different. It's contagious. So in Numbers 11, this is what we see. In verse four, it tells us that a contingent of Israelites had a strong craving for different food. So they already learned complaining wasn't good. Now I'm the wrong person to preach this passage because every day I wake up with a strong craving for different food. <laughs> and the Israelites, they started complaining again. God already warned them. There had already been a little flash of like, hey, this is not good. But this is what they did. They started going out and saying, who will give us meat to eat? Now again, this is personally very convicting. I live in a house of vegetarians. I have cried this many, many times. <laughs> many times. They start saying, listen, pretty cool that food comes from the sky, but it's the same food and we're tired of it. Miraculously, right? Can you even imagine a world in which food falls from the sky apart from, what's the book, the kids? Yeah, cloudy with a chance of meatballs. It's literally that stuff, right? It's like food that you eat is falling from the sky. And they start going, where's the meat? Remember in Egypt, this is what they started to say. Remember in Egypt when we could eat whatever amount of fish we wanted? Or even or the abundant cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic, but this, this can hardly be, hardly be called food at all. Now what's the big problem with this way of thinking? They were slaves in Egypt, right? So literally, you get a buffet, but we're gonna kill your children. That's what was happening in Egypt. And yet somehow, all of a sudden, they look back and they think it's the good old days. Like, don't you wish somebody would tell you it's the good old days when you're in the good old days? This is ridiculous thinking, right? And yet we do the same thing. It goes on. And the Israelites began to say, our appetites have dried up. All we ever have to look at is manna, manna, manna. Now remember, 
This is the place where you begin to realize, and this is what I want us to contemplate as well. Manna was a miracle, the very nature of it, right? The word is, what is this? It's not something anybody had ever seen. And this was the truth for the Israelites, right? That sometimes we get to the place in our life where a miracle is not enough. God performs a miracle and all we want is more. That's great, God, thanks for the miracle. Now I want this. And the children of Israel were in that spot. And this is the hard part, Ecclesia. It would be so easy to stand here and look down on these people and go, aren't they ridiculous, right? And yet the reality is we're just the same. We're spending our time obsessing over what we don't have when we have more than the children of Israel could ever, ever dream of. And yet, we still live in the same circle. We run in the same pattern. So what does God do? This is the thing I want you to hear most clearly. Back to the same passage there in Numbers 11, Stephen. He tells us, right? Um, They say our appetite's dried up. This is the thing about manna, so it describes what it is. It's like this coriander seed with golden color and gum resin. It's falling from the camp in the morning dew and the people could just walk around and pick it up. After grinding it with millstones to a kind of flour and crushing it with a mortar, they boiled it in a pot and it formed into patties. These patties, it tells us, right? Tasted something like cake prepared with oil, right? It had a bit of a, like an olive oil kind of texture. It's like going to the macaroni grill where you dip your bread in the olive oil, but you didn't have to dip it. It's already in there, right? It's a kind of sweet bread. And it tells us Moses overheard the people and all the clans at the door, they're all of them, listen, all the clans, all of them, what did they do? They were moaning at the doors of their tents about the manna. The eternal grew really angry and Moses thought the whole situation was wrong. What happened? A few people started complaining and what ultimately happens? Everybody's at the door of their tent. They're all crying the same thing. We want meat, we want meat, we want meat. Because a few people start complaining and why does Paul say cut out people that are divisive? Why does Paul say this is so dangerous? Because it's so contagious. If you live in a workplace where people start complaining, It's dangerous. It gets to be really devastating. If you're in a church, a community, a city where people start complaining. And so this Moses, he begins to literally, he he turns to God and ultimately says, God, this job is the worst job ever. Ultimately, he turns to God and says, God, I would prefer that you kill me now. Because if you got two million people whining, right, you're like, this is not worth it. And he begins to say to God, right? Who do you think I am? Am I their mother? Right, there's so much beauty and humor in the way that God and Moses speak to each other. It's worth reading all this passage in Numbers. At one point he turns to God and he says, am I their mom? Am I supposed to nurse them? Am I supposed to put two million people on my breast? (laughs) And you remember Moses didn't have a breast, right? It gets even funnier, right? Moses like, I can't nurse anybody, much less two million people. This does not work. And he just literally says, I'm done. Now, this is what you need to hear today. If you got something you're grumbling about, you're complaining about, that you're saying, God, I've got this, but I want this, this is what you need to be aware of. Beware. Because God may just give you what you ask for. You think you know best? 
Again, I'm speaking for myself today. I think I know what I'm supposed to have. God says, you don't want to follow my plan? You're not content with what I gave you? So he turns to him and he says to Moses, if they want meat, I'll give them meat. Moses turns to God, right? This great passage, right around verse 23. I'm not going to read all of it to you. Moses turns to God and says, if you butchered all the cattle in the world, it wouldn't be enough to feed these people, right? All the fish in the sea wouldn't be enough for these people. Like he turns to God and said, this is impossible. And God turns to Moses and says, do you know who I am? He said, do you think my arms are too short? It's a great way to put it, isn't it? You, you think I'm too short to reach for that? And so God does what only God can do, right? He says, if you want meat, I'll give you meat, right? And you can imagine, right, they begin to get, this is what I, I ordered some from Papacitos today. If you hadn't had quail recently, right? You're just tiny, right? These little quail. I'm going to tear off a leg for me. <laughs> if you want some at communion, <laughs> I'll share. It's all they want. God's like, if you want meat, I'll give you meat. What does he say here in the passage? He says, tell the people this. Purify yourselves for what will happen tomorrow. You will eat meat. Because you've cried to me, saying, if only someone would give us meat to eat. We were content back in Egypt. The Eternal will indeed give you meat, and you shall eat it. And the Eternal One says, you'll be eating meat, not just for one day or two days or five or ten or twenty, but every single day for an entire month. Meat, meat, and more meat. You'll eat meat. This is God speaking until it comes out your nose. Now literally here in the Hebrew, this is, he's saying literally comes out your nose. So if you've had the flu really bad and had the vomit that comes up through your nose, it's exactly what God's saying here. Which if you've done that before, you know that's, that's the, you can't brush that out of your mouth, right? <laughs> you get a sense of how God feels about this? He's just saying, who are you to tell me what you need? But if that's what you want, if that's what you worship, if that's what you care about, then you'll get meat. Till it's coming out your nose and you can't stand it anymore, for you've rejected me who is with you by asking why you left Egypt. Now this is what God does. He doesn't just send them a few quail, right? It tells us that literally, among the people in the wilderness, the quail piled up about three feet from the ground. Imagine a swimming pool feel, filled with quail, right? What's he doing? He's, God has a way of making his point, right? He's saying, if this is what you want, you're going to get it. But your life would be so much better if you'd take your daily bread You'd trust me, and you'd follow me. Now, Ecclesia, it would be really fun to just mock these people and act like they don't know what they're doing. But we're, we're one and the same. 
We and the children of Israel, I've spent time this week complaining, grumbling, and this is what happens. There's a great TED talk on it. Social anthropologist describes once we move to the negative, it's so hard to move back to the positive. And we're a people that God's given so much, we've got to avoid it. We've got to lay and stay in this place of gratitude. This is what C.S. Lewis says about it. Lewis says, hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others. He says, you want a little bit of hell on earth? That's where it starts, grumbling and complaining. Eckhart Tolle says it this way, to complain is always not acceptance of what is. This is the thing the Bible keeps reminding us. What would it look like if we could just be content with what is? It invariably uh, carries an unconscious negative charge. This is what happens when we start complaining. For whatever reason, something fires in our brain and it feels really good. We feel like we've vented something, something good is happening. It, It triggers endorphins in us. But when you complain, you make yourself into a victim. When you speak out, you are in power, so change the situation by action or by speaking out if necessary or possible. Leave the situation or accept it. All else is madness, right? And Eckhart Tolle is right. Nothing good has ever come from complaining. And this is what we know, Ecclesia, God despises it. And yet if you're like me, you look back on your week, You look back even this morning, you say, we succumb to it so easily. I believe, Ecclesia, that as we come to communion today, if we begin to say, God, would you lead us out of this really bad habit? Would you call us into the light of gratitude? Would you help us live as a people that trust you and trust your plan for us? And we're content with whatever you give us and how you desire for us to share what you've given us. And in that place, I think we'll find the abundance that God truly has for us. Will you give me a moment just to pray for you, and then we're gonna come to the table together. Lord God, I thank you that your story rings true. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, you freed your people from bondage. And yet, Lord, as we lean in, as we see the way that they interacted with you, in so many ways, it's a mirror for us today of the same mistakes that we make. God, we come to this table together today asking for your forgiveness. We've been given so much, and we too often focus on what we don't have. Lord, give us the heart of the Apostle Paul, who in Philippians tells us, do all things Do all things without complaining or bickering with each other. Lord, we pray that that simple truth, that if Paul could live it out in a Roman prison, if Paul could embrace it and write it, even as he faced execution, that surely the problems that we face don't seem as insurmountable. And just like Paul, just like the children of Israel, we know that you're on our side that you've come to our defense, that you love us and have beautiful plans for us. And so God, we thank you and we ask you as we come to communion that we would be reminded of your love and your grace. We pray all of this together as a family. And we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.